today we are welcomed by a great friend of the podcast. You've heard him before, the author of the David Slayton Assassin series, the Jammer Davis series, who we have back here again, and the standalone book, Deep Fake. We love talking to you about that one. What was that, last year or earlier this yeah, year? Yeah, that was this year. Actually. That was this year. Yeah. Well, welcome back, Ward Larson. Yeah, welcome back, Ward. Thanks, guys. Good to be here. You came out with another banger, and and we told you right before we got on that I have a hot take, so I just want to clear the air and and get this off my chest. Ward, if you weren't considered on the shortlist to take over the Mitch Rap series, (laughs) that is just a disrespect because- Criminal. Criminal. You you deserve- so much more with these books that you're pumping out. We love every bit of content you are writing. You have a great book here. And I have to say, reading this book gave me the comfort I feel when I pick up a Mitch Rapp book, just the fun, the enjoyment, the thrilling action. It was so Flynnian. And I felt like I was right back with Vince Flynn reading this you know, book. You, you made that, you made a post to that effect this morning. And uh, it made me think back about this. I, um, when I wrote this book, it was probably 18 months ago when I started. I actually, I, I had a few things that I knew were going to be in the story. I knew there was going to be uh, an attempt on the life of the president. And um, after that, Slayton was going to get involved. There was going to be conspiracy in Washington. And he was going to end up getting kind of injured at somewhere along the line. And all those things made me think back. And I thought, kill shot, you know, that's mm, a second right. book. And I went back and I read some of that book. And, you know, before I even started, and the first thing I remember was that, you know, I just was like, oh, yeah, this is a really good, well-written book. You know, I mean, I hadn't read it in a while. And I, it, it kind of came back to me how how good a writer Vince was. You know, those early books really jump out at you. Yeah, yeah. I kind of went back and every time I would start writing those first few scenes, I would, or certain scenes in the book, I would go back and just kind of reference that to kind of get in that frame of mind, to get in that voice, mm. doing some of those things right that, that he did. And I always tell writers this, you know, if you get stumped or if you want to you know, improve your writing, think about the story that had that kind of scene in it that you remember that sticks in your mind and go back and read it just to kind of get in that mindset. And that's what I did. I kind of, I mean, you know, I, 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 I referenced that book a little bit at the beginning and it really, I think it helped. And that's probably why, you know, you, you made that association. Maybe some of it came through. Yeah, definitely that definitely, you know, Vince's first book, Term Limits comes to mind. Uh, trans, you know, transfer of power. Yeah, is twenty fifth amendment. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, and, it, and he's he's not the first one to to do this sort of White House down, like not a White House stuff, but like right. you know, like the the president comes under fire. But, anyways, I think like I liked your f- refreshing take on it, and you know, you're amazing with incorporating aviation, obviously, because it's your you know your I guess primary passion, or uh, I, I don't know, is yeah. writing now yeah. your primary passion? Um. You know, but like, you know, sort of taking that story and then bringing it into the 21st century in, in a sense by giving us the drones, giving us new technology, giving us a new villain in terms of China. I definitely want to talk to you about that because it seems like China seems to be this hot topic that very few people, I mean, Brad, Brad's done it a little bit. I've read it in a couple other novels, but, you know, everyone loves to go to Russia and, and the Middle East, but, you know, going to China, they, they really are our, our, our true adversaries right now. So yeah, I like the sort of reframing of, you know, taking a familiar, you know, like a warm blanket, this from where your story, putting a new twist on it and giving it your flair, having your character in it. It was just, it was, it was a really fun read. 
Good. Yeah, I do kind of put the aviation spin on things and it's it's easy for me. I get ideas, you know, I'm out and about flying. I keep up with the flying world. But uh, it's funny, the the scene at the very beginning that opens a book where there's an attempt on the life of the president. Well, it, this kind of came from real life, the, the seed of this. I was actually flying. I fly for an airline. I was flying into uh, Reagan National uh, one night. And Reagan National Airport is right there by the White House. I mean, you're right. just a mile and a half away from the White House when you take off. It's you're, you're, There's prohibited airspace all around. It's, it's, it's a real big deal. But I was doing an approach into into Reagan National, and it was nighttime. And we had been listening on the way in, my my first officer and I, and we noticed and when we were talking to approach control that we could hear Air Force One checking in. Mm-hmm. And we knew Air Force One was inbound to Andrews. It's, and with that alone kind of surprised me that they would just talk on an open air traffic control frequency. You know they're coming. Wow. So... I actually, we spotted him because we knew where Andrews was. That sticks out. And we we were on final at the DCA, which kind of parallels the final approach of Andrews by about eight or 10 miles. So we weren't that far away from Air Force One. I know Air Force One has a bubble around it, but it wasn't as big as I thought it would be. And uh, and I said, gosh, you could you could kind of, you know, from where I was, you can kind of see him. You can see him land. And and it just went on from there, that whole, that whole idea of... Uh, mm what you know the beginning how can you take this and exploit it in a, in a plot yes. yeah cool. yeah and you know nothing and nothing i i got in this you know all that that whole scenario with the drones you know i didn't use anything any intelligence about marine one or how they operate that's not publicly available that's all open sure. source stuff you know i don't know anything anybody that works for the squadron you know the, the marine helicopter squadron one that's that's all open source stuff so what i did anybody could figure out yeah, what you say about Reagan is crazy. I remember my first approach, and I'm never too much of like a window seat guy, but I yeah. remember looking out the window and I was like, wait a minute, we're that close to everything. You're literally you coming right behind the Washington Monument. And you are, look, yeah. You're looking at Lincoln right there, you know. I couldn't <laughs> believe it. And I'm like, uh-huh. How many seconds would it take to veer off course and all of a sudden hit any number of important buildings? God forbid, but like are, do you think are there protections built in? I know there are like surface to air kind of stuff, but are there any protections built in to be able to like overtake the controls of the plane remotely? Because they, those planes, commercial jets, get so close yeah. to the White House. They do. There's a prohibited area right there around the White House, and as you take off from Reagan National, you have to do an immediate turn if you're yeah. taking off to the north. You have to do an immediate turn to the left to follow the river. You follow the Potomac. Right. River. Mm-hmm. all the way off away from town but if you bust that i mean we get notices about it all the time because people get lazy and they kind of drift out a little bit and touch that airspace and it's a big deal and um what protections there are i don't know I, i'm sure there's some kind of service center missiles but the thing is it, the time the amount of time you would have to react to make all those decisions to do i shoot down a commercial airliner in the Crazy. next 25 seconds i mean there have to be protocols where it's just automatic the decisions being made. I don't know that. I I don't have any proprietary knowledge, but you are just less than a minute from the White House when you take off from Reagan National. Yeah, that's crazy. Wow, that's crazy. And you even get the the helicopters right because East Potomac Park, which is where the hero jumps in. Yeah. I'm playing golf there all the time. East Potomac Park has the bike trail. It's got a public golf course. And you see choppers all day, you know, going up and down every 15 or 20 minutes. And they're, they're flying real low. 
it, it just that scene was so visceral to me. And then the the war college on the other side, you even hear mm-hmm. them playing taps at nighttime. If you're ever there, you know, oh, at yeah. sundown uh, while you're playing golf, it's pretty crazy. And I was I was taken there in this book. And and that, again, is, is another Flinian thing, because Chris and I both lived in D.C. Chris grew up in the area. I'm still yeah. here. And we kind of critique some authors when they get the details wrong. When they get it wrong. Vince <laughs> yeah. Flynn got every detail right. And you're getting every detail right here. Uh, Thanks yeah. for that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you get you get DC spot on. So yeah. I, well, I've been there many times. And I fly in and out of there all the time. It's not that big an area, you know, it's a fairly small city and it's yeah. all just right there. So it's yeah. Right. And then you come up with this crazy invention because another thing thriller writers have to do is find a new way to kill people right and assassinate people it's like you think everything in the book is done and then you come up with a web of drones through some ai system dropping this kevlar webbing where the heck did you get that from that was wild well i i you've probably seen it too i've seen drones at like sporting events and things like that where they operate in unison you know it's ai they're talking to each other and uh, and I read Aviation Week, so I kind of get updated on the the you know the most recent. Uh, I try to keep up with aviation, but drones will do that. That, that the way I had the drones operate in this in this book will easily do that. The the thing I kind of added on and made up was this Kevlar strap, and I think the thing that made me go to that uh, helicopters are kind of soft targets. They're not real robust machines. There's a lot of moving parts moving in opposite directions and it doesn't take much to, you know, get caught up in a rotor hub to really do a lot of mechanical damage. So, uh, that was, that was kind of, I just made it up, you know, but I, I think it would work. <laughs> right. Perfect. <laughs> you just got to get something stuck in that rotor. I mean, I sold you, right? You, it sounded like it would work to you, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 You had me convinced. So. Absolutely. I thought it but was But the wild. key was figuring out which helicopter the president is riding in. Mm, and right. that's where I threw in another thing, which I could see that happening. You know? <laughs> but that was where pilot and knowing how the airspace is structured, how close you could get, how far away you'd need to be. And, you know, you could see these things. I, I think that helped. Yeah, and... I guess because I'm reading it and I know that you have a better knowledge of aviation than like, like other authors, I believed you more. So like in, in that sense that like, you know, when you're describing that they're able to fly that low and, you know, be undetected or, you know, not, not raise suspicions. And then, you know, any good pair of binoculars are going to be able to uh, visualize this stuff. So yeah, like, I guess knowing your background kind of, had me more bought in in that in that sense um but either way i think it it works it plays yeah. it's it's a it's a good a good a good plot yeah i think it was a good opener i was happy with that part. Yeah. no the the, op- the opening uh, part of this book is is it, it hooks you right from the beginning yeah it was screaming from the get-go cool and then you build characters you start fleshing them out right away which are also compelling I remember talking to you in Assassin's Edge about having a villain carry over and you wet our whistle with the Trident. How much fun did you have getting to flesh that story out more fully? Or did you know back then who these guys were going to be and what their connection is to China and how they're kind of like on the outs in China, right? They were kind of on the edge of society. 
Yeah, you know, I, I didn't, I had them in there and I knew I was going to use them ahead, but I didn't really identify them in the previous book. I just had them more loose in the previous book and I had them get away. You know, those part of the bad guy, that part of the bad organization got away. But I knew I was going to come back to it in the next book. And uh, and that's when I really got in and, and kind of fleshed those guys out. You know, how did you know you wanted to invoke the 25th Amendment in this book? When did that when did that idea pop in your head? You just knew that you wanted to have uh, it? Yeah, well, I knew I wanted to have an attack against the president. And uh, and I know I wanted to have a, a plot, you know, within the government. So that will kind of naturally fall to get into the, the 25th Amendment. And, you know, there's some precedents for that. I had to research it a little. I'm not a constitutional law expert. So... <laughs> But uh, it's, you know, it, it was interesting, actually. I find out a lot of interesting things researching books. You know, I'll just be talking about stuff and I'll just all of a sudden some oddball thing will come up. And, oh, yeah, I researched that. You know, the Al Khalifa Tower in, you know, Dubai or something. And like, did you have any inspiration about, you know, coming up with some of these, uh, you know, sleazeball uh, politician, political characters or, you know, just, well, you, you have yeah, I mean, any, anyone you can, you can pick from in, in today's <laughs> lots yeah, of yeah. models. It's, yeah. It's lots of examples. rich environment these days. Uh, what I had to do is, you know, you want to create characters, uh, you know, more than one suspect, you know, you don't want to right. be obvious who's going to be the, the traitor. And so you make some sleazier than others, some more subdued, and, you know, you, you kind of mix it up. So, yeah, some are just, you know, straight on sleazy politicians who we all can relate to, and others are more subtle. And those power dynamics, even not just in the West Wing, but at Langley with the takeover uh, by the one guy. Yeah, you really it was almost like an Agatha Christie, you know, so, so you've got different <laughs> things going on, but that one felt like a whodunit. Right. And and you even worked in these little cliffhangers at the end of chapters when, you know, the phone rings somewhere in the West Wing, someone yeah. steps out to take the call. Uh, yeah. That was really cool how you made these little cliffhangers that kept us wanting. Did you know in the end, though, who it was like you had a plan that it was? Spoiler yeah, line. I, I it, knew it, it was, was going to be. VP. Yeah, 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 I do. And you kind of structure the characters to build to that in the end. Yeah. But we, we thought it could have been the CIA director. We thought it could have been the chief of staff, the VP right. chief of staff, right, right. The stage was set. Yeah. There, there's a lot of, a lot of suspects that, you know, there were. But I think like if I, on reread, cause I listened to it twice, I could see more of the, you know, the, the undertone foreshadowing of, of the VP. I could see it more once I, once I already knew, you know, so. right. Right. I feel like there was somewhere though, that you threw us off. I think one of them, it was either his chief of staff or the VP was like, but what do we do with Corsair at the end of the op? Like, don't we take him home? And it, it made it sound like the VP wanted to save him and take him home. Uh -huh. was, was that like a sleight of hand or was I reading too? Yeah, much yeah. It? And you have to be careful. You know, you don't want to mislead the reader intentionally, you know. Sure. And, and you, you know, I probably get things in there that are not quite, that don't come across quite as I intend. So I, I don't remember the specific wording of, you know, what you're talking about. I recall it, but... I remember you threw me off though, and I appreciated that because it kept me thinking, it kept me wanting, instead Good. of drawing my conclusion early. Okay. Instead of pulling up Poirot and uh, figuring it all out. Yeah. And then you do something different here, which Chris and I are both a big fan of. We're on the golf course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How did that? One I mean, come about? I mean, think about it. For a sniper, is there it's any so better place on earth? <laughs> 
to so true. It's to perfect. go work than on a golf course. <laughs> when you were describing the guys on the putting green and he's watching yeah. them through the scope, I'm like, it's so true. That's so true. Can you think of a better spot for a setup like that? I, there was one one part where he, you know before he even leaves that he's like sort of looking at all the the all the holes, right? And he's like, "This would be the perfect the perfect hole to where yeah. I should set up because because of this." You know, I was like, yeah, oh, that's... "He's looking at the course map, seeing yeah, what exactly. works out best." Yeah, and the timing. You know about how long the course plays and how right. Is it going to be a slow day? Is there going to be a slow group in front of him? I played a little bit. I'm not. I'm no good at it. But, so yeah. you're a scratch, right? Scratch yeah, golfer, right. right. <laughs> you you, you live in Florida, so you you, you should be good at golf. <laughs> I really wonder though. I'm like, what if you talk to uh, a sniper? Like, if we ask a Jack Carr or somebody who's been there, it's like that's got to be the easiest shot in the world. They're in the wide open, and yeah. all the rich people and their cronies who would be caught up in some elitist cabal, they're going to be out there playing golf at some point with somebody. Yeah. Man, you know where you know where your target's going to be. He's going to be standing still for a fixed amount of time, and you even got a little wind reference for the flag, right? That, that's- <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> that was a great scene. I, and I loved how it was written. That was a great scene. I was a little disappointed, though. You know, we didn't channel some diehard action, say, four motherfuckers. <laughs> yeah, motherfuckers, four. <laughs> that would have been good. Yeah. Slayton has a, a certain sense of humor, but not 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 quite John McClane. <laughs> no. <laughs> so Hong Kong, we mentioned it before. China. Oh, what made you go that route? Because Chris and I have been saying for a while, China's seems to be the easy next wave, right? We So many authors have done the Middle Eastern Islamic extremist. We've done the Russians, right? We've heard about that ad nauseum. So what made you go to China? Well, China is the, you know, the natural assumed enemy going forward. So yeah, I definitely wanted to involve China. But Hong Kong and Macau are kind of unique because they're they're Chinese, Chinese territory again, but they're not really because they're trying to kind of make them more Western. So the rule of law, the surveillance isn't quite what it is on the Chinese mainland. So it's it's sort of a middle ground. I think it would be easier for someone like Slayton to operate and the Trident easier for them to to live there. You know, they're they're kind of on the outs too with the Chinese government. So, you know, it's sort of a middle ground and that's where I wanted to go. Plus it's an interesting area. I think one of the I think wasn't one of the born books was also set in China, was it not? But uh, yes, that's an interesting area. One of the uh, the original one, not the movie. The yeah, the, the supremacy I think is is all about China. Yeah, yeah. And then there's a few a few action movies I feel that go to Macau and and the gambling and the casinos and working that in, which is right right there next to right. Hong Kong. Which brings us to the Manchurian uh, monk. Really, really cool character. And again, a, a, a Ward Larsonism, finding these really cool connections that you could weave in recruiting yeah. gamers. Like, yeah, if you're writing a thriller for for the new generation, <laughs> who knows what AI and gaming will look like. But you're recruiting gamers. That's crazy. First person shooters. That's what, you know, how many people in China have played these games and gotten really, really good at them. They, they go into tournaments and, you know, th- there's a certain amount of use to it. But, you know, it was just something that some, you know, senior person suggested and they put a program in. And of course, it was an abysmal failure for a lot of reasons. But a couple of people rose to the top and turned out to be useful. So yeah, that, that was fun. Yeah, that that whole you know, the whole first person shooter thing in gaming. It just yeah. struck me as like, 
you know, these people are, you know, living in this alternate reality. Catching every detail, being able to, you know, multitask, yeah, analyze multitasking. things. Yeah, you know, they know their weapons inside and out, a lot of them. Yeah, exactly. I thought that was wild seeing the inside of recruiting people yeah. from the gaming community. And you probably get some very moldable individuals, individuals who could very much be warped uh, into some sort of extremist view sure. or made to do something. Probably. A lot of them are probably of like the incel type, you know, so like, yeah, yeah you could play up on that. So, you know, forgive me, but I haven't read every assassin uh, or David Slayton novel, but you know, I've read a few. Do do you like, I know, noticed with the Manchurian, you, you like to go back and do these like flashbacks, giving us a little bit of history of that. Is that something that you, you normally like to do or is it something that you just, you picked up on in this novel? Yeah, I like to throw it in just to give a little background. Yeah, I mean, okay. he's got a family, he's got a wife and a kid and another on the way. And yeah, he's got a background and I, you know, I don't want to get carried away with it. I don't want to give his entire resume in each book. But I just try to put a little snip, few snippets here, here and there to uh, to kind of fill in his background, where he's where he's coming from. Oh, with, with Slayton, yeah. But, um, I was more talking about with the um, the villains, with Monk. Oh, oh, with Monk. With okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I like, yeah. I like cutting yeah. back to his, like you know, you know, each of his little, like you know, sort of giving us a little villain origin story, I guess, within the book. Yeah. I think the villains are more believable. You, know, you want all your characters to be believable, and you can't give every single one a background. But I think it, it kind of makes them more real if you give them, you know, a little bit of a childhood. There are some things that happened to them formatively that made them what they are. So, yeah, I, I do like to do that with the villains where I can give a little background. Yeah, and Chris, it's interesting you not having read as many in earlier in the series wouldn't you say this one could work on its own and ward we had our um our patrons last night we were doing a hangout biggest you know supporters of the podcast and talking about what should you read next obviously i'm pushing uh your work because we love the series and a few of them were like do i have to start in the beginning i'm like well you could because i mean what is it the perfect assassin Perfect assassin, yeah. I really remember the sailboat scene or Cornwall, yeah, yeah. whole right, lot of fun right, stuff. Yeah. But they were like, what if I want to read the new ones? I'm like, go right ahead. Like, yeah. I would recommend Assassin's Strike. To me, that one got, that was my first Slayton book. I know it's a more recent one, but mm -hmm. you could jump in any of them. You can drop in anywhere, yeah. right in that way intentionally. I, I had a big gap. I, I published The Perfect Assassin in 2005. And then for a lot of just publishing reasons, the, the next book in the series, Game, didn't come out for seven or eight years later. So it's a big gap in there in between books one and two. And then it was pretty much one a year after that. Yeah. So there was, there was a gap between one and two. And I look back now and there are some just some people using beepers and things like that, that, you know, the technology has changed a lot in that amount of time. Yeah, it's it's interesting going back and reading some of those books. We, we've seen that, um, you know, just it, it ages, you know, you can you can feel it. Yeah. So. Some of the long running series. I mean, I'm sure, you know, the first couple of Vince books, right. you know, Brad calling them cellular right. cellular phones or, you know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And each one, again, talking about award larcenism, it has a, I guess a vehicle is the right word, both a vehicle as a literary device, but also a vehicle quite, quite uh, literally. We had drones in Assassin's Strike, uh, the last one, Assassin's Edge, we had the submarines, we were underwater. And here we have drones again, but even a manned drone, if you will, at the end, 
That was a kind of neat invention, this prototype yeah. of a uh, delivery system, including for humans that can be yeah. used to enter, you know, covertly into another territory. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Have you seen those? I have seen things like that are in development. I don't know if there's exactly that. As again, I read Aviation Week and there's all kinds of things being dreamed up these days. There's drone wingmen for fighters that are going to just fly alongside fighters with then oh, carry wow carry missiles and you know, radars of their own and they could be sent ahead autonomously in high threat air all kinds of things and there's in the one i'm working on right now there's a there's actually a spacecraft that's being um designed right now that can deliver a small payload anywhere in the world within three hours and it's designed as like an expendable vehicle to just get a few guys or guys or just some material it can be autonomous or it can be piloted and anywhere in the world, three hours, it goes off a wow. rocket. Yeah. And just, Jeez. it's out there. That's crazy. I mean, That's game changing. Look at what's going on in Ukraine right now. There's some real low cost stuff, you know, that people are coming up with. Right. That's yeah. going to be probably a future book too, you know, just some small scale terrorist coming up with, uh, you know, just something off the shelf and coming up with a unique way to use it. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, technology is changing a lot faster than we can adapt to it right so what what's uh what's next for slayton i i, I get this vibe that um you know he wants to be this more of a family man he's like uh you know obviously he has a kid another one on the way yeah he, he does and at the very end what a girl right yes a girl he has That's a girl right. And but he also gets threatened to to uh, take over the, the clandestine. <laughs> yeah, uh, talking <laughs> about Vince Flynn though, I hate to keep doing this. I really hate to keep doing, but we saw when Mitch had to struggle with being offered the near de uh, near east position and the desk job at Langley. He fought right. against putting a suit on constantly. He's also a family man dealing with that, and I think it's what's important in these thrillers is that they're not just a one dimensional killer assassin. Sure. Some people like that in their books, but I like yeah. seeing them as humans as well-rounded yeah. humans. And I thought those two little nuggets at the end brought out the human side of Slayton. Were you going yeah. for that? Yeah, yeah, I was. I mean, you gotta, you know, you gotta be able to relate to that. So that's, that's the threat that's on the table for him and we'll see where it takes us. I'm, yeah. I'm working on the next one. There is going to be a, a big shift on the next one. I'm not going to release Ooh. it just yet, but there is going to be a pretty big shift in the next book. So, right. okay. Well, you you mentioned there might be some space stuff. So, all right. Yeah. It's like the latest uh, Fast and the Furious when they go into space. So. I'm, I'm a little scared. I'm not going to think about it because my mind jumps to consent to kill. But, okay, I don't want to know anymore. Jammer Davis. I, I, now, forgive me if I missed it. Has he come into this universe in the past yet? He has. He's he been has. in okay. two or three books now. He was yeah. in a couple of them. Okay. And he's okay. he's Sorensen's significant others. So I've got kind of a universe going on. And he, yeah, he he makes occasional appearances. And uh, yeah, he, he's a good, useful character. He's very reliable. <laughs> Hanging with Davy too is just a blast. That was oh, a lot yeah, of fun. Yeah. Yeah. What was that with the seaplane? Have you had? Do you have experience with seaplanes? And I I've never been checked out. I had a friend that had one, so I've been up in seaplanes before. It's a lot of fun. It really is. And uh, yeah, I, I've got a little experience with them. So uh, and that's how you get around in in you know Canada and the and then the right. Yukon places like that is that's the only way you can get places in a seaplane. 
So it, you know, it just kind of made sense. And uh, it's a good way to get off the grid because there's just a million lakes up there you can go get lost on. And I thought it was pretty cool when he flew over and dropped the message to her. And uh, Oh, yeah. In the general aviation community, they actually do contests where you will go. It's like target, like bombing practice, where you fly over and there's a target on the ground and you throw out a little sandbag and see if you can, you know, hit the, hit the target. And oh, uh, wow. so, that's, yeah, that's nice. something that's actually does exist. I'm learning a lot. Now, <laughs> one thing that I don't know if it's been done before, a blender as a torture device. Please tell me you don't have experience with that one. <laughs> oh, it was a mortar mixer. <laughs> oh, okay. okay. Yeah, and he turns on all the other uh, saws and the construction yeah, materials. Right. Uh, yeah. If you think about it, a construction zone really is a right place for, for finding yeah. improvised weapons. <laughs> oh, very yeah. much so. <laughs> I feel like yeah. there's been a lot of movies where the the final scene is in like a, a, a you know a abandoned building a construction site you know yeah yeah this is ripe for 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 the killing yep so what about uh deep fake because you took that little journey into a standalone book and it was yes. a, a shocking success our patrons even yesterday we were talking to a couple of them had really liked that one and it was a good way for them to get into your works even if mm -hmm. they hadn't read Slayton. And now they're yeah. kind of clamoring uh, for more. So do you envision that coming out again? Another either follow up to that one or another standalone? Yeah, that one's pretty much just by the nature of the story. It was a standalone story right. that characters aren't going to return. Um, I might do another standalone. I actually have a couple other things in the works right now. And uh, again, I can't get into it because it's not finalized just yet. But there are okay. some, some bigger things on the horizon. So stay tuned. Okay. All right. I'm glad to hear that. Well, we at least we at least know we have one Slayton book for next year. Yes, right? one Slayton okay. book is just about done. It actually won't be out till right now. It's February of twenty five. It's going to be just over a year till it comes out. But then I have okay. two coming out the year after that. So okay, right. yeah, staying busy. Yeah, and someone else who's busy is whoever's designing these covers because I talked to you about Assassin's Edge with the submarine and I love that one. Yeah, this one might even one up it though. Yeah, I, I I love the covers. I don't know if it's the same person doing all the designs, but they're really knocking them out of the park. I really like the covers they've been doing. I thought Deep Fake was a really good cover, very eye. Yes, Deep Fake was a great really cover. Your cover game is on point. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to take credit, but that's that's Thor doing it. Yeah. So do you do you have any any say in it, or are you just you're given options, or you're told? They like they is... they give me they ask me for ideas you know because they haven't even seen the book when they start working on the cover so you know just give us some ideas of well and they pretty much stick to what you know I give them and right. uh, so I give them just a general idea usually it's some kind of you know military machine on the front or something like that and uh, and they run with it and I try to give them specifics of what kind of fighter it should look like that kind of thing and uh, and they run with it they do a, a really good job. It's funny, I, I know another writer who who didn't have such a good cover design team. She wrote mysteries, just sort of Florida mysteries. And she wrote this book and she she talked about the cover and they just totally ignored her. And they sent back a cover design that was an airboat with a body on the front that was like wrapped in a tarp or something. And she was like, there's not an airboat anywhere in my book. <laughs> they just The cover guy just thought it would be exciting. So he just threw it in there. No. You'd, you'd be amazed that's funny that like the author said that because you'd be amazed the amount of times we we've 
judge a co- judge a book by the cover or judge a cover by the book. And there was one, well, there was one Mitch Rapp one, right? Where they're in a, they're in a, a train in the middle of like the Sahara or um, snow, like, you know, it's, it's like in Siberia. Russia somewhere, Siberia. And then the plot I think took place in like tropical, you know, Southeast Asia. Like, it had nothing to do with it. I, it. It just, it's funny how these things make it past so many people. And it's like, Oh, I guess they just don't care. I don't know. We have a passion on this podcast for the cover has to relate to the story. It, it absolutely has to. It, well, and I'm looking no, through yours. Say that, Mike. It has to at least, if it doesn't relate, it can't not relate. Like it's one thing to be like a, there's political, you know, generic thriller things that we're fine with if they look nice. But like if, if it, if it, you, you'd make a choice to have something that is going to potentially relate to a story like a building or, you know, some sort of vehicle, then it, it should be in your novel. Right? They get the city wrong sometimes. Like <laughs> yeah, a landmark yes. in the wrong city. Yeah. Yeah. Like they put Paris and like the, the they don't ever go to France. Like yeah, exactly. Yeah. They just put the Eiffel Tower because people recognize it. Right. I'm looking at your covers though across the across the board, and not one of them misses the mark. And they're yeah, all related. Yeah. Shout out to to your team because they they are working. They're put they're putting in the I work. Will, I will pass it along. Yeah, I haven't seen the next one yet, but I should get that one soon. Okay. All right. Ward, what are you reading? Let's hear just uh, not even books, but is there any we we like to ask our authors, any media, any TV shows, anything right now that's got your attention that you want to share with the people? Uh, well, I'm, re- I'm list- I do a lot of audio books because I, I drive to Orlando once a week. So I do that audible program. I get a book a month and that's about what I listen to. So I it's hard for me to find time to read a lot. And um, so I, I tend to more listen to books. I, I listen to a Michael Connolly book. He's a very reliable author. I like his, his police procedurals, his Bosch books. Um, what else am I doing right now? Um, I read a lot of nonfiction, really. I, I was talking to another well-known writer about this, too. And, you know, people ask where you get your ideas. And I really... Get, I read the newspaper, at least two or three newspapers every morning, not cover to cover, but I catch, you know, the parts that catch my eye, I read. And uh, I just read a lot of a lot of news, you know, to keep up with current events around the world. And so I, I do that a lot. And uh, some trade, some trade, you know, aviation type things I read. And other than that, I'm just writing all the time <laughs> and flying airplanes. It's, yeah, I guess when you're flying, you can't have an AirPod in, right? Listening to a book, huh? No, I can't listen, no. <laughs> you had that one joke, uh, a pilot joke about falling asleep <laughs> I, when he was the third man but couldn't actually pilot the plane. There was some joke among pilots in this one. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know the one, yeah, because, uh, yeah, he was supposed to be the third crew member for a long flight. Right. Uh, you're supposed to have three, but yeah, you can get by with one on the flight deck, probably. <laughs> well, Ward, it's always a blast talking to you. I, I, we like to do a little tradition here, which is a no limits limerick. And I got a little one here about the story itself. Um, a couple of things we referenced already here. So is, is this you... something new? I don't remember the limerick. Is this a is, new thing? You haven't done a limerick from Ward yet? I haven't done a limerick in a while. You haven't gotten one yet. That That's a shame. That's on me. A lot of our interviews, we like to to give a limerick to the author. Sometimes they're about the book. Sometimes they're about just the author and, and their background. But this one's definitely about some of the creative things you do in this book. So 
As the west wing rose up to a clamor, on the trident they'll drop the hammer. A great shot on a par four. Oh wait, but he didn't yell for. Can't we all just use a friend named Jammer? Mike, that might be one of your best ones there. It, whoa, yeah. thank, thank you, Chris. That's, I was feeling a little uneasy about this that one. Is, that is on task for the book. I, I agree. He should have yelled four. He should have whispered four, right? He should have whispered four right, right yeah, before he took the shot. I, I missed, chan- missed chance right there. I didn't see it. <laughs> that's funny. That's well, funny. Jammer also has a little one on the way. Uh, I think that's what Anna was hinting at. There's, there's something going on there. Am I putting the pieces together right? Uh, we'll see. Stay we'll tuned. see. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, There's a surprise for Jammer and, and Adam. There's something. Okay. Yeah. Something coming. I, I like I like those two characters. Yeah. yeah. You're keeping the sp- suspense up. What month did you say? Do you know when we can expect next year? The next one will be not next year. I want a book coming out next year, but it'll be February 25. So about oh, 25 from now. Yeah. Okay. okay. And year after that, two books, I believe. All right. All right, great, great stuff to look forward to, and uh, thanks for coming back. I think we'll have to count, but is this your fourth appearance on No? Sounds Limits? right. Yeah, yeah, sounds right. right. That puts you yeah. on on the top list for You're most uh, appearances. One of the top. Oh, is it really? If not the top, yeah, I think Chris awesome. Howdy. We've had Chris Howdy a number of times. Kyle yeah. Mills, of course. Uh-huh. But I think you're up there. You're in the top three for sure. So thanks for coming on again. Thanks for these books. And yes, thank you. Keep them coming. Yeah, right. have a great, uh, great holidays. Yeah, happy holidays to you and everyone.